let's uh, let's open with prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, we just God, we just praise you for your continued faithfulness to us, um, for your uh, provision for your church, and God, just um, as you continue to provide for us. And God, we thank you for your word and what a treasure it is, uh, revealing your wisdom to us. And Lord, um, I pray that we would be diligent students to study it, to um, to handle it accurately, to try to come to a right understanding of it. Uh, God, I just pray that you would uh, bless the time that we have this morning to, uh, to look into these things, that um, we would think about them very seriously, and that it would, uh, God, that it would increase our ability to, to understand your word correctly, and through that to honor you. In Christ's name, amen. All right. We're continuing our study through how to study the Bible. Um, and hopefully everybody got a little handout side put out there, because we've got an exercise today. We'll see how that goes. It'll be kind of an experiment, so hopefully it'll go okay. Um, just to review... Let's see here. Where have we been? So we talked about um, why studying the Bible is important. Um, just a, a lot of the, the benefits that we get from um, really digging in and studying the Bible. Um, and some of the objections that people would raise to the idea of trying to seriously study the Bible um, and attempted to address some of those objections. Um, and then we talked about the role of the Holy Spirit in interpretation. Um, exactly what what does that mean? Um, you know, just the basically the notion that uh, because of our own uh, sinfulness, our own bent uh, away from God, um, there is a tendency for us to misread the Bible, um, and that it is only by the holy the power of the Holy Spirit that that is overcome, and we really. Um, can grasp the meaning of the text of Scripture. Um, so it's it's absolutely vital that the Holy Spirit aid us in our understanding of Scripture. But we don't want to take that to the point where uh, the Bible is itself nonsensical and that the Holy Spirit has to somehow add meaning in there um, that you couldn't derive if you just approached it sinlessly. Um, it's a bit of a summary of what we talked about that time. So the, that's the role of the Holy Spirit. Um, and then the last time we talked about getting into the uh, into the meaning of the text. Uh, what exactly does that mean? Um, uh, what does it mean that we're that we're doing a a, a proper interpretation? Um, just things along those lines. Um, how it's very similar to what you would do when reading any other text and some of the ways in which it's different um, from how you would read other texts. So those are those are the topics we've covered thus far. So, so far it's been largely um, overview type topics. Um, today we're going we're gonna to try to delve in a little bit more into some specifics. And so we're going to start talking about um, about genres. I know we've we've mentioned this various times throughout the study so far, um, but uh, today we're going to focus on that. So, um, 
you know, occasionally I like to give you guys some of the, the technical terms. Um, one of the one of the technical terms that people use when they talk about interpreting the Bible is they talk about the the uh, the method called grammatico-historical interpretation. Uh, you may have come across that phrase, um, and it's really just the idea that that we're, we need to pay special attention to the grammatical constructions of the text, and we need to pay attention to the historical context. Um, those are those are things that we can't ignore as we study the text. Um, there are various other schools of interpretation that approach the Bible very differently. Um, but for Bible-believing Christians, this is the approach that we take. We take a grammatico-historical interpretation. Um, and so these things are very important. Um, we're going to, in the future, talk more about um, looking at the historical context and helping, using that to help us understand the text. Um, today it's a little it's a little closer down to, to grammar. Now, grammar is something that you know all of us have to deal with. Some of us hate grammar. It's you know it's one of those classes you you had to take and you wonder why in the world do I need to know all this and. Um, I know for myself, it's like I wish I paid more attention in English grammar um, because when it comes to studying the Bible, that's very useful. Um, now, you probably know that the Bible was written in Greek and Hebrew, not in English. Um, so Greek and Hebrew grammar are actually a little bit more important, but um, still the English, English grammar is still the same basic principles. Um, so you need to know things like what are nouns, what are verbs, what are adjectives. Um, you know, as you approach the text, this is going to matter. What's the subject of the sentence? What's the object of the sentence? Um, is a statement indicative, imperative, interrogative? Those are big words. Can anybody define what those are? Yes? Imperative, um, in my grammar, it means a command. A command, yes. Imperative is a command. That's exactly right. An interrogative has questions. An interrogative is a question. What were the other ones that you mentioned? Uh, and the other one was, uh, let's see, indicative. I don't know. Indicative. Indicative is the idea. Let's, let's, does anybody else got know what indicative is? But excellent. You got, got two of those. Basically, making a statement of reality, uh, about reality. Yes, it's making a statement about reality. So if I say this is made of wood, that's an indicative statement. Um, so, Yes. Um, I actually knew that term, but in my grammar, it's known as declarative. Declarative. Okay, yeah, that's another term to use for it. So yes. Um, so yeah, those are. It's important to be able to identify that. I mean, it it can it can really affect the interpretation of a text um, when you pay attention to is this a question? Is it a command? Is it a statement? Um, those are those are very important things. Um, you also have to pay attention to the tense. You know, is it past? Is it present? Is it future? Um, various things like that. So, overall, what, um, a lot of times the question comes up is like, well, do we interpret the Bible literally? Um, and that's that's a that's a question that's kind of fraught with controversy, uh, just because the term literal can be used in more than one way. Um, oftentimes when we talk about interpreting something literally, um, it comes down to um, 
where you're taking something in, people call it a wooden literal sense or a crass literal sense. Um, it's the idea that it's just like, it's the absolute most plain meaning and it completely ignores the use of figurative language. Um, and you know, there are times that you, you, you look at a text and you should interpret it just in the absolute plain meaning. Um, but the fact is, is that there are various literary forms, there are genres, there are figures of speech. Um, we use them all the time in our everyday language, and the Bible is no different. Um, it contains many figures of speech. Um, and so if we understand, though, that we should read the Bible literally in the sense that it is literature, um, so we should interpret it the way that we interpret literature. Um, we need to understand that um, if we're reading something where a figure of speech is used, where, um, for example, um, if somebody uses a hyperbole. Does anybody know what a hyperbole is? Yes? It's, uh, hyperbole is essentially maybe a ridiculous or an extreme statement to right yeah so it's you're you're exaggerating something beyond the actual literal truth of what it is in order to make an emphasis you know it's not you're saying it's not that you're saying something false you're just really trying to point something out by overstating it that's what hyperbole is so we use that in our everyday language the bible uses it as well and so we don't want to approach the Bible in a way where we look at hyperbole and say, oh, well, that must mean exactly what it says, um, because that's just not the case. So we need to be able to identify these things. Um, and identifying genres can be difficult. Um, a lot of times it's very easy um, a lot of times you should just be able to look at a text and figure out, it's like, oh, well, this is this genre. Um, there are other times that it can be very tricky. So um, and we're going to have an exercise where you get, a, you get a little chance to practice at identifying genres. Um, and uh, forcing the wrong genre is, uh, is definitely very dangerous. I mean, I mentioned just the idea of, you know, taking something that's hyperbole and trying to force something uh, into it that it's not. Uh, another example would be like taking one of the parables and trying to turn it into a historical narrative. Um, that would be uh, an error. Another error that uh, often comes from non-Christians who are, they're still studying the Bible, but they want to dismiss things that uh, the Bible talks about. There's many things that are in the Bible that are historical narrative, and people have a problem with them. And so sometimes their approach to dismissing them is to say, oh, well, that's uh, that's written in poetic form, and so it's not intended to be taken literally. Or, oh, this is this is a fable, um, something like that. So, um, for example, like people might look at the Book of Jonah and say, oh, well, look, some of some of the Book of Jonah is written in poetic form. So, were we really to be to believe that that Jonah was was swallowed by this big sea creature? Uh, and they say, no, we, we just need to dismiss that because it's, it's poetic. 
but the fact is, is that if you study the book of Jonah, you will see that the overall genre of the book of Jonah is historical narrative. It does contain poetry, um, specifically in Jonah's prayer, but the, the overall genre of the book is, is that of historical narrative. Um, and so it's presented as if this actually happened in history. Um, so we need to be very careful that we don't force a genre um, onto a text. So let's um, let's talk about some of the some of the genres, some of the at least some of the big picture genres. And there's there's probably a million ways you could define genres, but we're just going to look at some of the big ones. Um, and they they are on your your handout there, just as a reminder as you look at the text that we're going to look at. But um, the first one is historical narrative. It's probably like the the easiest one to, to get your head around. Historical narrative, it really is just um, where somebody is recording something that happened. It's it's just telling about an event. Um, an example of that, um, Luke chapter 24, uh, verses 36 through 43, this is referring to the resurrection. Um and the, the apostles are, uh, are together, uh, starting verse 36, it says, uh, and they were talking about these things, or as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them, and he said to them, peace be to you, or peace to you. Uh, but they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still, uh, while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, "Have you anything here to eat?" And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. So there is an account of post-resurrection appearance of Jesus. Um, and the resurrection is one thing in particular that some people like to try to get around in the Bible because it's, it's a big miracle. Um, and if you have a problem with miracles, it can be uh, something that you want to try to attack. And some people will say that, oh, well, the, the resurrection is is symbolic of something. It's not It's not that they were teaching that Jesus actually physically rose from the dead. Um, but, you know, it's just like, it's an idea that should inspire us is kind of uh, the approach that people take. But if you look at this text, um, does this look like um, it's describing just the idea of resurrection to inspire us, or does it look like it's describing something that actually happened? What do you think? Should be an easy one. Describing events as they happen. Right. Yeah. And what what are what are some of the clues in the text that give us that idea? The language used. The language used. Okay. Can you be more specific? Yeah. Um, Kind of in explaining, you know, hey, a spirit, you know, addressing the actual, um, the common belief, see, it's about a ghost, like, here I am, the person, 
Right, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, the fact that, like, they're thinking, oh, we're seeing a spirit, and he's, like, saying, no, I'm, I'm, I'm a physical body. It's just, like, really seems to be, like, bringing home the fact that he is actually physically rose from the dead. If you wanted to tell a story about a resurrection that was just, you know, kind of an idea, or that, you know, that Jesus' spirit should be rose, you wouldn't have this type of situation, you know. Um, you know, the, 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 the disciples almost, you know, kind of go that direction because it's just so, it's so, I mean, for them, it's like, it wasn't like, oh, you know, he, he was raised from the dead. Yeah, that's, that's what we expected. It was like, it's like, wow, how did that happen? They were amazed by it. And, you know, and there's these extra proofs that are provided um, that just really play up the fact that, like, even though they were struggling to believe it, Jesus was really showing them, yes, I have physically risen from the dead. Anything else you see in there? kind of along the same lines is he ate a piece of fish. I mean, it's like just really showing that uh, it actually physically happened. Um, some other things that just help us to identify historical narrative. I mean, it's, it's usually pretty easy for us to identify it, but it's, you know, it's usually like past tense, third person, just describing events. Um, those are the types of things that we see um, in historical narrative. So that's that's our first genre. Any questions about that one? Again, that's a pretty straightforward one. Second one is is didactic, um, which is basically just a, a fancy word for teaching. Um, various places in the Bible, that's the focus. It's it's teaching. Um, so. Um, just to stick with our resurrection theme, uh, Romans chapter 5, uh, verses 8 through 11. Uh, Paul is writing here, and he says, But God shows his uh, love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So do you see how that's very different from the historical narrative we looked at uh, in, uh, in the Gospel of Luke? I mean, that's presenting information, right? Um, in a sense, the, the what we often see with the didactic is the didactic interprets the historical narrative. So the historical narrative tells us the things that happened, um, whereas the didactic is often telling us what does it mean that it happened, why did it happen, what are the theological implications. Um, I mean, the... You know, the Sunday school lessons and the sermons are basically didactic um, genre. Um, it's it's just the idea that somebody is presenting teaching. Um, so it's kind of, in a sense, it's it's removed from a historical context and it's just presenting information. Does that make sense? Any questions about that? Okay. Um, another genre. 
And usually we can identify this, um, it's poetry. I'm sure all of you have, have read poetry. Um, I'm sure that even, you know, there's a lot of people that don't particularly care for poetry just in their own personal reading, but but if you go through school, you're, you know, you're going to have to read poetry. Um, poetry can be quite enjoyable. Um, but poetry has its own kind of characteristics. Um, the Psalms, um, it's a book of songs, a book of, book of poetry. Um, an example there is Psalm 22, 12. Um, psalm 22 is a psalm about the, um, about the crucifixion of Christ. Um, and in verse 12 there, um, kind of speaking from the voice of Christ, it says, Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. Uh, and so there, as he's being crucified, he's saying that he's being surrounded by bulls. Now, if this was in historical narrative, we would probably interpret it one way, but what, what are we going to do differently since this is in uh, in poetry and not in historical narrative? Any thoughts? Yes. Is it like a figure of speech? Mm-hmm. It's a figure of speech. That's exactly right. So... We don't have any reason to think that there were actually bulls surrounding the cross while Jesus was being crucified. Um, but um, it's it's just it's basically the idea that there's these strong, um, hostile people around him, and he's he's in distress. I mean, that's that's kind of the the idea that you get when you read the psalm is that he's in distress and he's being surrounded by enemies. And so these are not to be taken as literal bulls, as in you know, a male cow, um, but the, these are his enemies. So that's one thing that we, we often find when we are looking at poetry, is there's all sorts of figures of speech, all sorts of, of things that should not be taken literally. Um, I mean, they should be taken literally in the sense of literature, but not literally in the sense of the most basic meaning of the word. Does that make sense? Um, poetry can be somewhat difficult to identify, um, but like some of the characteristics, um, you know, uh, the 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 structure of it, where you 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 know you put things in lines in a way where you're paying attention to either uh, rhyming of you know certain words in there or the number of syllables that are in each line or certain parallelisms. Um, that's something that you often find in Hebrew poetry is there'll be a statement and then there'll be another statement that is basically the same thing but in different words. Um, so that's something you call parallelism. Um, and there are things like that that we can use to help identify when something is poetry. Um, another is um, what we would call prophecy. Um, and it often includes um, the idea of a vision that God provides. Um, and that can be um, very strange for us to read and try to understand. Um, one uh, really good example is in the book of Daniel, uh, chapter 8. Uh, Daniel chapter 8, just beginning in verse 1 there. It says, In the third year of the reign of King uh, Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, after that which appeared to me at the first. 
and I saw in the vision, and when I saw, I was in Susa, the citadel, uh, which is in the province of Elam. Um, and that right there is actually technically oldest historical narrative. Um, uh, and, and he goes on, and I saw that, and I saw in the vision, and I was at the Ulai Canal. I raised my eyes and saw, and behold, a ram standing on the bank of the canal. It had two horns, and both horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. I saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward. No beast could stand before him, and there was no one who could rescue from his power. He did as he pleased and became great. As I was considering, behold, a male goat came from the west across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground, and the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. Now, we look at that, and we might say, well, that sounds kind of like historical narrative. It's, you know, it's describing a ram and its horns, and it's describing a goat, and they're they're doing things that kind of looks like historical narrative. Uh, but it sounds, there's something about it that just doesn't sound right. And he, obviously he says that it's a vision. Um, but if you just jump forward uh, to verse 19, there's actually an explanation of what this means. Um, he said, Behold, I will make known to you uh, what shall be at the latter end of the indignation, for it refers to the appointed time of the end. As for the ram that you saw uh, with the two horns, these are the kings of Media and Persia, and the goat is the king of Greece, and the great horn between his eyes is the first king. And so there, an explanation is provided. And we see, is like, oh, well, this is what the ram is. These are what the horns are. This is what the goat is. This is what the horn is. And so here we see there's a lot of symbolism being used. Um, uh, you, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's, these things are described, but they aren't actually what the words are. There's, there's something behind them that's being pictured. Um, so that's the idea. Um, and you often have that type of stuff going on in prophetic type literature, in, prophet, in the prophetic genre. So we definitely have to be aware of that as we approach uh, prophecy. And that we don't try to read into it a literal interpretation as if there's uh, a ram and a goat being discussed, because that's not really what's going on. Um, and that's a, a controversial topic, because prophecy is, is definitely a highly uh, debated subject in our day. And, uh, and I think a lot of times, if we understood these things, it would, it would solve a lot of our problems. Um, another genre uh, that we see in the Bible is uh, parable. Um, a parable is a little bit hard to define, um, but um, obviously there are multiple examples of parables, um, particularly of Jesus telling parables. Um, one particular example, just to, just to give one here, is Matthew 13, verse 44. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. And so there we see, um, basically, there's, there's a, a comparison being made um, between this treasure and the kingdom of heaven. And so there's, again, it's really, it's really hard to define exactly what a parable is just because 
some of the parables take one form and some of the parables take another form. Um, but um, they, they usually have some kind of replacement, you know, where you have sort of like symbolism, but um, maybe a comparison is a, is a better example. Some of them are somewhat like allegory, uh, where you have certain things in the, in the parable representing other things. Um, but we need to be very careful on those things as well, because um, Jesus isn't really talking about a treasure hidden in a field here. He's, he's trying to tell us something about the kingdom of heaven. Um, and if we get focused on a treasure in a field, then we're going to be missing the point. Um, so we need to understand that. Um, so those, that's just kind of a general overview of the kind of the major genres we would find in the scripture. Um, let's see, I'm trying to look at our time here. I'm not sure how long it's going to take to do the exercise. Um, I tell you what. Um, I also want to like run through some figures of speech. Um, so, but I think we're going to save that until after the exercise. So just just know we're going to be looking at like some figures of speech and just kind of what they are uh, to help us uh, identify those when we see those in scripture. Uh, but hopefully, just with that little overview of like what our major genres are, um, what I'd like for you to do now, um, and you can. You know, group up as much as makes sense within our current social distancing, you know, trying to be safe um, type of situation. Um, and uh, just go through these passages. Um, yeah. Um, we'll see how long it takes. Um, we're, I'm going to give you at least 10 minutes, so... Um, but anyway, we have uh, Galatians 1, 1 through 24, just the whole chapter, uh, Acts 17, 16 through 34, and Matthew 13, 1 through 23. Those should all be on your sheets. Um, and just go through and just try to identify, because all of these contain more than one genre. And so basically, I want you to identify, like, what's the genre? And, like, where does that genre run from this verse to this verse and so on? Um, and they'll, they'll get, like, progressively harder. So the first one should be pretty straightforward. And um, anyway, so any, any questions about that exercise? Again, this is this kind of an experiment doing this exercise. Okay, well, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to give you um, at least 10 minutes to, to just work on that, and then we'll discuss what you guys find.
how we did okay so Galatians uh, chapter 1 somebody want to offer up a breakdown of that Yeah, the book of Galatians as a whole is didactic, but he does spend a fair bit of time in historical narrative. So we're verse wise. Around verse 13. Yeah. Yeah. Now, would you say that his greeting could also be considered historical? He's he also spends a period of time during the greeting stating uh, his authority and how he came to that. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I mean, it certainly has elements of that. Um, I mean, you might even like try to have greeting be its own genre in a sense, because there's certainly, like, especially for Paul, there's a 
there's a structure to his nope. his greetings, and you can see it. Um, and I mean, it, to some degree, you know, genres bleed into each other, and so like didactic often has elements of stating historical facts in them. So, uh, but yeah, you you could possibly do that, but. Uh, but certainly, like, the big break comes around verse 13, yeah. depending on exactly where you want it. Because, again, he's kind of transitioning into it over a couple verses. But, um, but yeah, he goes from basically teaching and being concerned about the Galatians' fall from the gospel um, to recounting historically um, what happened with his own uh, conversion. So, uh, yep, that is... That is and this was the simple one. It's basically just you got two genres, and there's a pretty, um, pretty clear split right there. Um, how about uh, our passage in Acts, Acts chapter 17, uh, verses 16 through 34? Somebody want to? I mean, you have a, a fairly large historical narrative mm-hmm. at the beginning of the, the passage where he's talking about them being in Athens. Mm-hmm. The idols and all that. Mm-hmm. And then I, I thought that there was a, a shift into the, the didactic when he was talking and, and preaching the gospel to them. Mm-hmm. And then you do have a shift back to historical narrative as you come back out of it and tell them what happened afterwards. Yeah, that's exactly right. Did you happen to write down the verse breakdown on that? I kind of thought that the, the first break was uh, verse 24, so historical narrative, and then verse 24 he starts teaching the, the okay. gospel to them. And then around verse 32, uh, he, he it says therefore that either they rejected or accepted his preach mm-hmm. his preaching. Okay. Yeah, I, I had the I had the break at uh, at verse 22, but it's it's in that range. I mean, again, it's like sometimes the the transition is uh, is a little um, a little fuzzy because it's like it starts to have elements of both, as it were. Uh, yes. Would you uh, count verse 28 as poetry? I, I, I did have that in parentheses that you could look at verse 28 and say, well, there's a, an example of poetry. So, um, it's I mean, it's it's basically in the middle of a didactic section, but you do have one little instance there of, of poetry as well. Um, so yeah, that's a, that's a good analysis of, of Acts. Uh, chapter chapter six there's chapter seventeen there where it's historical narrative then it goes into didactic and then it switches back to historical narrative with a little bit of poetry in the middle there and now Matthew that's the one that's a bit more complicated so Matthew chapter thirteen verses one through twenty three somebody want to offer a breakdown of that well this is um And this one had quite a bit in it. I thought, uh, but uh, I feel like verses one through three was start out with just this historical narrative, and then verse three, in the middle of verse three, he very clearly says, or it very clearly states, he starts a parable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so three through nine is parable. Okay. And then um, for nine through fourteen, I actually I felt like it was both historical and didactic. Okay. And then uh, and then 14 and 15 was poetry coming from Isaiah. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I felt like the rest of the chapter, the rest of the section was that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a pretty good breakdown. Um, anybody have any thoughts or additions to that? 
prophecy. Yeah. 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 You could you could look at that at that um, um, at verses 14 and 15, and you could put it as prophecy or poetry or both. I mean, prophecy was often done in terms of uh, in, written in a poetic form. So, um, so yeah. I mean, for for mine, I have it. You know, literally, you know, poetry slash prophecy is what I've got on uh, on mine. So I'm assuming that's what you're referring to. Was those verses? Yeah. Um, any other thoughts? One thing, um, the uh, the way it's broken down in the uh, in the text, at least in my text, where it where it does the breaks, it kind of leads you to miss this, um, but. You know, Mark said that the the parable ran from from uh, verse three through verse nine. Um, as I looked at it, it actually seems to me like it runs from three through eight, and then verse nine is actually didactic. So I don't know if you caught that. Um, let's see, I can find it in the text here. Yeah, so he, he's you know he's talking he's this parable of the of the, of the sower. And verse 8 says, Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. And then verse 9 he says, He who has ears, let him hear. And to me it seems like there he's, he's shifting out of his parable and he's encouraging people to, to hear the message that he's presenting. So I think there it's like it's one verse then of didactic before in verse 10 switching back to historical narrative. Yeah, you do have a, a little bit of historical narrative, and you certainly have figure of speech there going on um, as well. So again, like identifying genres can be difficult, especially because sometimes they just bleed into each other. Um, but yeah, that's a. I mean, that you guys did a great job of going through and identifying the the different genre breaks. So. Um, hopefully that was a helpful exercise. Um, I know I said I wanted to talk about um, specific types of figures of speech, but we are out of time, so that'll be, wait till next week. Um, but again, just as you're studying the Bible, it's just vitally important that you be able to identify the genre because you're going to apply slightly different rules to interpretation depending on if it's poetry, if it's prophecy, if it's a historical narrative, it's a didactic. Um, so you just need to be aware of those things um, as, you're, as you're studying scripture, and hopefully that will help inform you and give you a, a more accurate interpretation of scripture. So, all right, well, let's, uh, let's close with a prayer. Heavenly Father, God, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you uh, that you have provided us with such a a rich uh, book full of um, all sorts of information about you, about us, about our need for you, and God, about how we should walk to please you. And God, I just pray that we would continue to be diligent students, uh, studying your word for all it's worth, and trying to really grasp your mind and what you are telling us. 
And God, I pray that you would, by your Spirit, enable us uh, not just to be hearers of your word, but to be doers of your word. That we would uh, walk according to the things that we see in your word. And that, um, that God, you would be glorified in your church through her obedience. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.